Good evening, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for listening to another KG Fifth Ward Wildcat and Doc podcast. Fellas, how are you? Oh, it's a Sunday. I had a good day. I woke up this morning. Sun was shining. Rain is falling. It's all good. Doc? Honestly, I'm a little tired. I had an opportunity to be out in Prairie View for Prairie View's homecoming. And it is becoming really huge. People over the years are starting to recognize. Let's start right there. Talk the about PV's homecoming and, and the results. Well, Definitely. first of all, Doc, I want to congratulate you because you granted them a win yesterday. They waited for you to show up all season. I like that. I, I wish if I'd known that, I'd have come around a lot more in terms of seeing them directly play on the field, obviously, cover everything, listen to radio and some of the stuff on television. Uh, in terms of off the field, uh, very nice capacity crowd. Even though you had scattered showers, threatened showers, people still showed up. Uh, literally, the back part of the campus where you have the athletic facility, which is coming on the campus, I should say, off to the left, but a lot of people see it as the back side of the campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was full with RVs. Um, so many RVs, you literally can't camp. It looks like a what you would see when you see mostly the FBS level in terms of RVs, people tailgating, having a great time. People are all the way back to the the road coming into Campus University Drive. Oh, I, And there's a, that's a, a huge pond that they put up with the water. People are literally back behind the Baby Dome, uh, back behind Hobart Taylor, all the way back to the edge of that riverfront where you had at least twenty twenty five thousand people out there on campus. And 12 13. So, where were you parked, Doc? Good, good crowd. Good crowd. We, we come in early. We come in Wednesday. So, we get prime spots, pay for our spots. We're literally right across the ravine from the bridge when you walk over next to a tree. So, it's easy to see two huge flagpoles that fly Prairie View emblem to let people know where we located friends that patronize us, come by and celebrate with us, and just uh, see people that hadn't come back. Oftentimes, four or five, sometimes ten years, uh, with huge lines. I'm a member of Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity, so uh, you have lines that come back after 10, 15, sometimes 20 years, so they celebrate uh, when they uh, went over. So that's always huge, seeing people that you may have not seen in five, ten years. Oftentimes, they have their children with them, obviously their wives and significant others, things of that nature. So it's really a great, festive atmosphere uh, when you look at that and I'd say it's probably thousand RVs out there uh, easily in regards to that um, and this was pretty much the last homecoming where we'd have this uh, stadium that's probably less than in Texas probably less than most junior high stadiums uh, so it was intrigued that they uh, played a tough opponent with Alabama State but Alabama State was Reeling from a tough loss to Alcorn, but you knew they were going to be focused. They came in there. Uh, still, it's a long trip when you come from Montgomery, Alabama. So yes, sir. It's a tough one. Yes, sir. Prairie View looked like the team that many of us thought they could be in terms of coming to the season. And they got the defense to play a little solid. They got some help from the special teams, a couple of turnovers. They really put in the ballpark. Had a block punt, set up a touchdown. One of the first games, except for uh, since uh, the beginning of the season against Texas Southern, 
where they were out front and kind of got the pace themselves and let the other team come chase them, which I think really helped them with the crowd and everybody. Festive environment really helped them in that. Also, this is the first time where I've seen where they were looking like they were going to get chased down and end up oh. coming to a three-point contest late in the third quarter. And they scored a touchdown to pull away to maintain that 10. Some big plays, including the interception, to make sure they sealed the deal uh, to win uh, 34-24. So it did come down to 27-24 late in the contest. As Alabama State was making a furious rally to score 14 unanswered points. As Prairie View had a 21-point lead that they let slip away. <coughs> excuse me, 17-point lead that they let slip away to uh, just three points. On all all is great. One of the biggest things about the weekend, since we're kind of focusing on HBCUs, is the fact you were getting all these texts coming in. You seen this text and you said Jackson State seventeen, Valley seven. So okay, close in or Jackson State gonna do it. I'm glad you brought that up. It gets a little further down. All of a I'm glad you, you brought that up. Tied up twenty seven twenty seven. In uh, 24-24, I think it was. And then you see final. It's a final. No, you see a score. Valley is scored. They go up. And then the next one you get, it's a final. It's a final. Valley upsets Jackson State. So you immediately seen that night as you fishing and doing your reports, getting prepared to send the polls off today, run the computers, and then get ready over here amongst everything else and celebrating and, and doing those things because you're going yourself. So you're checking out all these HBCU scores and people are talking about it. And then you come across HBCUsports.com, which is one of the leading sites out there that reports. And you see somebody talk about the fact that uh, they have a website to fire Coach Jackson of Jackson State and the athletic director. I said, oh, they serious. So they've lost three straight games to the rival Grambling State. That's not good. Yeah. First time Prairie's beaten them there since the 60s. Wow. And they lose to the coach that they – dismissed or did not retain, basically didn't fire him because he wasn't under contract. They didn't renew the contract and let it go off. Let him go. Uh, so he comes back and beats you. And they hadn't lost the Valley since the 80s. So tremendous. And it doesn't get much better. Uh, they still have Southern to deal with. And then Alcorn, their biggest rival at the end of the year. So it could be ugly down in the Mississippi while everybody else is celebrating the major programs in Mississippi getting their shine on. It's oddly enough, it's interesting that one of the beacons for HBCU sports that came out of the state of Mississippi with Jackson State is struggling. So those are the things that kind of came to mind. You also got the, you know, the score that Grandma State was up on Alcorn State Braves, 21 nothing. Everybody was 21 nothing. Uh, they held on to win that game, 28-21. Major upset. That's a shock. So that'll be three straight weeks that the number one HBCU sport team has fell uh, from the top of the ranking. So I'm not sure if anybody wants to be number one. We'll let you know later in the podcast in terms of top five teams in the poll. And obviously you can see it as it released for the top ten tomorrow as it comes out. Doc. So those are some of the things. FAMU. Got to sneak this in there because we talked about FAMU last They got on the board. They got their first win over Savannah State. But did they fire the coach? No, they didn't fire the coach. So that was just a rumor. That was a rumor. It was officially a rumor, as we talked about. And uh, 
thought it was, and the biggest reason I thought it was going to be difficult for them to fire coach is my understanding that he's still under contract for two more years. I just don't think that they can get the alumni as mad as they are. And there are some out there that will seriously take considerations to pull up that money to do that. But there's some other places that probably want those resources. So it'll be interesting to see if they decide to pull the trigger because I'm not sure how many more games FAMU will win because even against Savannah State, who was 0 for 6, uh, they kind of struggle with and they beat them solidly, but it wasn't just the traditional uh, score that you would see in Savannah State. So Savannah State is playing a little better. So those are some of the scores that jumped out. One other one, I think it's a major upset in top 10 polls. North Carolina Central defeated South Carolina State. Remember, South Carolina State top five program just defeated North Carolina A&T last week in the Atlanta football classes. So it looked like they were rolling, ready to move forward, and they uh, – take the L. So the only team that's been consistent, which is weird because I kept telling everybody to be a number two, number three team. They've been very quiet. They had their first win of the season everybody got excited about. But after that, they kind of just been trading water, which is Bethune, Cookman. And what do they do? They win. Is that a hint? Might be. Might be. Might be. Well, is, is, is Jackson State are they are there issues more so of the team itself rather than just the, the opponent? I think there's two issues that Jackson State has, and, and maybe three I'll look at it. For those that do not necessarily follow HBCUs but have a framework of traditional powers of uh, football, college football that would be, like Alabama, Texas, if you would, those are some teams that have won championships, pretty much recognized. But those programs kind of fell on hard times for a short while there. Um, Jackson State is like that as well, um, that they have fan base, second to none, that follow them, very passionate about their brand. It's unique from the state because there are not any uh, non-HBCU programs that operate or institutions that operate their football program at the FCS level. Uh, you have Delta State, historically white college, if you would, that is a Division II program. So all the other programs are FBS, and they hadn't really won until, like we said today, recently with Mississippi State uh, jumping up to the number one in APO to kind of give you a reference. And Mississippi, obviously, with both of them being ranked three last week with huge wins, and they followed it up with significant wins for the second week in a row in regards to their conference race. Jackson had that framework. They were always would win. They always would be in the race. They always dominated programs. Well, one of the issues, obviously a lot of talent, but that's all HBCUs has left. But the other issue is when they were dominating, a lot of other programs, HBC, particularly in the SWAC, when they were eight, nine, nine, ten teams, were not necessarily trying to be serious about football. They were full field football teams but in terms of offering them scholarships to the maximum level, funding it at a serious rate, bringing athletic directors who were focusing on bringing in quality coaches. Jackson State doesn't have that luxury anymore. So they could almost win four or five games mm -hmm. just with the talent alone, just like Texas. <clears throat> Generally speaking, uh, when things are rocking in Texas, they're probably going to play at max two games where teams will have their caliber of talent. But with the scholarship limits, something yeah. that we're talking about at the FBS level where we're starting to see yeah. and, and the exposure yep. uh, with other programs, 
they're starting to equal in the playing field. So even though you have some teams that may have deeper roots in terms of their brand recognition, but in terms of the current landscape, there's just not that much difference. So I see that at the HBCU affecting Jackson State, and they really took a – and it's just like any program, one bad – or what we perceive as one bad football hire, Houston. Yep, yep. Team that was on the rise, mm-hmm. stadium upgrade, two coaches that delivered championships or put them in the championship framework, chasing BCS bowl titles, definitely chasing bowl games. Yep. You bring in a coach – doesn't quite have the same cachet, can't quite do the same recruiting mix. Special teams coach. Say that's what, that's what it is. They they hired a coach that had been out of football for five years. He had played on a professional level, had a lot of coaching experience for Harold Jackson there, uh, but he had been out of football for years. They thought he was just going to be able to manage the team, and they're having major problems with that, and I think that's the key. Where you really find at any level, whether it's professional, FBS, Big Five, Little Five, <laughs> SWAC, SIAC, if you don't have everybody on the same page in terms of bringing a championship and you don't hire a coach that can help you uh, supersede your flaws. Right. Yeah, I got you. If you don't have everything coming together, it will click quickly come to the surface. And that's what's going on, in my opinion, at Jackson State. And a perfect example of that, uh, that – Getting lucky with the right hire, it's Coach Bailiff over at Rice, because you didn't know, you know, he was coming. He had been an assistant coach, it's the greatest and yeah. even though he had taken uh, Texas State to the national championship uh, game, still didn't win it. But he knew how to put a, a, a team together. Yeah. He also understood how to manage a team. You know and, what the term is? I look at it when you talk about players that are playing in the game. You say they had an it, and you don't necessarily yeah. can't. Yeah, you put all your fingers on it. Right. But you know it when you see it. Yeah. Right. Same thing with certain football coaches. They can be at programs and you see it and it's just something about how they do business. You can't necessarily quantify all of it. Or if you could, you would definitely do those check marks to bring in the next coach. Yep. But if you're fortunate A D and some ADs are better than others in regards to knowing what that it is. Yes, sir. And putting it together. We can obviously some of them say that. just know. Some just know when you see them with hires after hire on HBCU level, athletic director that I pay a lot of attention to is Lynn Thompson at Bethune-Cookman. Small private school. Um, they tend to look at coaches that are younger, may not have quite as much experiences. But they seem to be hungry individuals that are really talented in their craft, and they always seem to supersede the expectations and have Bethune-Cookman chasing championships. So he does that very good. And then he's always able to replace with good hires. That's another problem that you see oh, yeah. in any division. Is sometimes you can have individuals that are able to hire a great coach, but if that coach is as great as you think and they tend to move on because of other opportunities, it takes an even more special individual to be able to continue to do that over a period of time. That's true. That, that is true. Wildcat, I must disagree with you about Coach Bailiff. Really? Correct me from wrong. A few years ago, uh, there were some people rumbling about he wasn't right high for the job because of the results. Yeah, no uh, bad recruiting sessions, coaching changes, uh, being in a, uh, being smart about listening and being smart uh, smarter about adapting. 
to the environment I think and understand I think you bring up a good point. I'm glad you looked at the scenario. I think there's another problem that you have, which is third or fourth on the list, is the fact that also in this time of age, people are just not as patient. You go look at some of these Hall of Famers that we have back in the day. I mean, Coach K in basketball is famous for that. You know, he's coaching now where he started out at Duke. He, he never would be the legend. He'd be fired. True. He never would ever coach for USA, more than likely, because people just don't give you the time now. So you not only have to be a solid coach, so I'm sure there's some good coaches out there that one or two small things went wrong, like you said, yeah. a bad recruiting class or just some bad luck on plays, that kind of season the ball just didn't bounce your way this way and that, get a couple of tough losses, particularly if they're key losses to what we refer to as a rival. Mm-hmm. And it just happens to be on the backside of your contract or a new AD coming in. And like I'm and, not sure if I want this and that was another going thing. in a different direction. This is his. Uh, Before you get two. a chance to really show one way or the other, you're out the door. So sometimes it's not even in your direct control, which really makes it more difficult. And Coach Bailiff is in his third athletic director. That's what I said. Sometimes it's just uh, the game that we play, particular, and I say this particular, when you at programs that are not necessarily at the height in terms of getting the financial wherewithal to get things done, i.e. Texas, Alabama, or at least what they refer to as the Big Five, where you know financially in a position to basically get whoever you want. Yeah. Let's touch on a couple of things. Um, U of H football proved us wrong, or proved me wrong specifically, about beating a team with a winning, winning record and a road win, winning 28-24 over Memphis. Greg Ward was a quarterback, as I said, touched on last Position week's change. podcast, that he would possibly be uh, replacing Mr. O'Corn. And days later after the podcast, Coach Tony Levine announced that Greg Ward would be the starter uh, versus Memphis. And going forward, the Cougars play a home game this Friday versus Temple. Game's at uh, 8 p.m. It's going to be on ESPNU. So we'll see if the Cougars and uh, Mr. Ward another can lead fight. to another, another, another victory. Another fight. Not uh, touched on uh, Jackson State struggles, but you know struggles in Mississippi. But on the big boy level, yeah, all is well in the state of Mississippi. You got hey, not only Mississippi is all state is well, number all... one team in the in the in the AP poll, top twenty-five. All is new since you go back to the '60s when you had these programs pre-dating integration in regards to success. They've gone from the state of Mississippi is happening. Mississippi State's gone from being unranked five weeks ago to being number one. You notice that Southern Miss is struggling too. It's interesting those parallels. Uh, they, now that situation is all over the board. I mean, it's across the board from players, coaches, uh, athletic departments. They are it, some things are going on. This this in the process of. Getting, trying to correct some Which things and, and making changes. Big puzzle, as I said, one bad coaching hire, change the AD. Yeah. AP. Now you throw in the APR mix, some struggles with that. Oh, it can get really ugly really fast. So you better have a coach. And when I say coach, it needs to be a coach not only that knows his X and O's, because you can find a coach that is smart, his wits in terms of X and O's, but if they can't do the manager level, they can't do the leadership level, or they can't do the APR level or organization level, they're going to struggle. The question I have when we're talking about Mississippi State, do you agree that they should be number one according to 
AP in terms of top 25. I do. They're number one now, according to USA Today. The coaches' polls come out as well. They're one point ahead of Florida State in that poll also. What do you think? They have yep. less, less first-place votes, but overall they have one more point than Florida State. Because the they've concern in why I would not have had in my vote if I was putting out a poll in terms of the Big Five, Top 25, FBS level. The group of five. The group of five. I call them Big Five because they just think they're bigger than everybody. Well, they're, they're calling themselves in, in conversation. That's because I say the Big Five, they mad because everybody's talking about them. And I'm they call themselves the, the, group they of the, right. the Monopoly? Yeah, the, the Monopoly. The, the right. group of five. So the Big Five, just like the OPEC. OPEC oh, that, yeah. Oh, that. Or the oligopoly. Whatever. <laughs> yep. you know. Controlling everything quietly. And they want to do. I do like the pants of Mississippi State. I like that design with the M and State on. It. I think that with the white pants. That's right. But concern I have with Mississippi State. Not saying they can't do it, but I would not have jumped them over Florida State at this point until they give me a really good road. Well, I think they won at LSU. No. Yeah, but we're seeing now that LSU is not LSU. They got five wins, but it's the brand name. You're it's, right. It's the SEC media doing this, Doc. You know, if you win in three top ten games in a row over SEC opponents, then you must be great. You're the greatest thing since sliced bread. The rest of the teams playing outside of SEC don't matter a hill of beans. Now, the other thing is, Doc, they're, they're the hot biscuit right now in the SEC. They the hot biscuit. In yeah, the, in the, the they the hot biscuit. They the hot yeah, biscuit right now. They hadn't put no butter on it, no syrup on it, but they, they, right now they just a hot bad biscuit. I understand. We'll see you. you know, they they, go on they got road. At, at Alabama on November 15th. That's the one I want to see. And then they wrap up I'll regular season. And I know people saying Alabama's going to be hard going. Danny Bryant. Stadium. Yeah. But the Tuscaloosa, last, Alabama. The last game of the season is the Egg Bowl when they play Ole Miss and Mississippi. Both of those teams playing. So, Very solid. You know, one of those Mississippi schools will lose based on that matchup right there. So that's going to impact the Final Four college football playoff seedings. One thing I will give kudos <clears throat> to the SEC, I think that I don't have a problem stating, is the fact. That that Western Division of the SEC, oh. without a doubt, is a Doc, I will say that. That now, in terms of Mississippi State, and I'll let you chime in in terms of that Western Division. Oh yeah, of the SEC, Mississippi State has to travel on the road on that game. As I was talking about, right? That's a big road game. We talked about the Egg Bowl, but that Egg Bowl for Mississippi State was on the road. Yeah, it's at Mississippi. Yep. Doc, it, speaking of that that Western Division, when you look at that that whole group that's there. Including A and M in the in the bunch, you could literally put that group in a conference by itself and split up the SEC, and then just say, okay, you all play each other, and then you venture out and play everybody else. Right. Uh, you just I put your game, and you, and you and you and you and but the, but the key to that it goes by what you just said, road situations, making those guys go. One uh, time, uh, one time zone west, two time zones west, and then come back and play a game the, the following week. That would be interesting to see how how they adapt to it because the SEC has been known for you come play us, make that money, get beat, shoot your best shot, and then you go home. We're not traveling to your place because we all know the first time it, it transpired, USC came to Birmingham. Play Legion Field, and the days of Southern football changed forever.
because they would not travel. They would go north, but they wouldn't go. They wouldn't go to the, uh, west of the Rockies, west of the Mississippi. They just, it just wasn't gonna happen. Yeah, they, they were not interested in that. And to, uh, almost to this to this day, they've been known, you know, as a group. The top five teams in that conference, when they're running hot, they don't travel. But as great great as the the West is, what about the East? Is the East a pile of crap? I think they are. I mean, the ACC is probably so dominant, but all we hear about is the West. And and the only reason they're not a pile of crap is because when they when those teams play outside, I watch them when they play outside their conference. They pretty much they don't. Some of them will dominate teams. The the top group, the top tier will. But the bottom feeders, like even with no Vanderbilt travels outside, they compete. They win games. They struggle. Vanderbilt struggled to beat Charles, Charleston Southern yesterday. Right. 21-20. So I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going been on. In the past, recent past. It's, it's you got to remember Vanderbilt's coach left and, and, State. Yeah. And he's having some issues now. He yeah. Gotta it, they got to get that straight now. Get his own people back And there. the other thing, too, he got some allotments. And all goes back to that, that, that saying that, you know, this, they got their secrets. You know, how they put teams together. I think what hurt the East, Missouri, not playing as well as they thought they would. Defense. That they defense, have, they lost guys. They lost two stars on the defensive side, one of them including co-SEC player of the year. They turned turn them over five times like yesterday. And then you had the issue that South Carolina has fallen on. Yeah. Uh, people I don't know what's going on with that. top five program. They just weren't as talented as people thought. They lost too much on the defensive side of the ball, too. And Clowney, as many people gave Clowney all that issues, now people are seeing just how talented Clowney was yeah. in regards to some other players that have left too. But sometimes somebody has to leave you before you understand their yeah. value and work, which is sad because some people see that in relationships as well. But one question I do want to go before we move forward with some other great topics. Going back to the Mississippi State schedule, tell me which one of these is just not like the other. It doesn't fit. At Kentucky – Versus Arkansas, versus UT Martin at Alabama seven, versus Vanderbilt at number three Ole Miss. Which one of these is not like the other? That UT Martin game. What is and that's, that? That's, that's in November. Die. You know what that is? As fellas, we're gonna take a break before we set up our bowl game. Taking a wrong? break. Taking a break before we play play Alabama. Like I said, <laughs> we we taking a break. We taking a break yeah. before we play our bowl game. Because they end up making what three to five million dollars, oftentimes at the home games. But still, in terms of fans, you oh, use yeah. the fans in a lot of ways. We already seen studies where people saying that fans are staying at home, and a lot of it also has to do uh, with these cupcake games, particularly but, not even playing an FBS program. Their first, their FCS first three, program. their first three games of the season: Southern Miss, UAB, and South Alabama. Those are the, those are their first three games of the season. Not now they won three straight top ten games against the SEC opponents. Now they're the number one team in the country. So the first three games they didn't play anybody. Now they played three straight SEC so teams. Under, under, uh, and top, now they're no, now the number, number one team under the old system. And I noticed, and I can relate this to Nebraska getting that shot years ago uh, when Coach uh, when Rice was on the schedule the, nine, uh, the uh, 2011 season. When you play those teams and all early on, you beat them down. The teams, if those teams continue to win and compete in that conference, get a certain amount of games and all, and stay vigilant, it helps 
your rating score. Now, this is under the old, under the old system. Southern Methodist two and four. Uh, don't help them at all. I'm, but I'm, the U, but the UAB game now that that's totally different because they compete in Conference USA. Uh, we'll we'll see. UAB's four and two, but, but the, the, two and one Conference USA. Was voting on. Doc, I see you gritting your teeth, but but Doc, under the old system where they where, where they were voting and putting it, putting the system to, put it all together. That is what was, was one love, of the criteria. I love that was my just history. One South Alabama's three and two, two and one in the Sun Belt. I love oh. my history just as much as anybody. But I heard of the East Coast bias. Now I'm thinking there's a South Coast uh, SEC bias in regards to that because that puzzle just doesn't fit. Now, I'm not saying Mississippi is not talented, but when you look at the picture of what they put out, yeah, they, it doesn't quite fit. I mean, because you talked about A&M. A&M was supposed to be talented. You have a lot of teams in the SEC that on paper get a lot of benefits. You had South Carolina State that came in top five. Texas A&M blasted them. So now all of a sudden people question where South Carolina, in terms of their talent, where they are. People said, all right, they put them top 15. But all of a sudden they shot Texas A&M. Now Texas A&M goes and plays Mississippi. We found out that Texas A&M may not be top 10 material. But now all of a sudden... Mississippi gets the benefit of that. It's not that A&M was necessarily bad. It's really how good Mississippi is. Now you're doing basically the same thing. And let's keep in mind, yeah. talking so about the Aggies. those are things that doesn't fit. Talking about the Aggies. Aggies should have lost Arkansas. Yes. They had a hell of a comeback in the fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter, to win that game in overtime. Correct. They'd be If they had lost that, they'd be having a three-game losing streak. Correct. So this team that you're talking about, Texas A&M, in the last two games, I hadn't even been able to put up a lot of offense. And, in fact, against Mississippi yesterday, they scored two late touchdowns to make it respectable. But they were getting thumped. Yep. No no uh, touchdown in, in the first half, first time. In and then you talk about LSU. When Mississippi played LSU, LSU was number eight. Now LSU is struggling to be top 25, top 15. Now, moving over to – Are you questioning the SEC, Doc? I guess so. Yeah, because I well, always do. Now, with, the, with, that, with, with that, <laughs> moving over to the to, uh, two things we discussed last week, which two conferences would get pushed out? Right now, it's the Big Ten. No question. I don't uh, think you can argue. Even though I, I would put Mississippi State in terms Michigan of – Michigan State. Michigan State, thank you. Uh-huh. Michigan State in terms of being a solid team. Now, I wouldn't argue that. The, the, reason I, the, the reason I brought that up is because of what transpired yesterday between TCU and Baylor. Because TCU's shot was yesterday. Yeah, they blew it. They blew a conference championship and a spot in the Final Four. There you go. Now, with the win over Oklahoma they had the week before and the win they would have got at Baylor, they would have been on the same type of framework, if you would, if you think about it. On an upward slope. As Mississippi, beating two top ten teams two weeks in a row one on the road one at home and they were up 58 37 in the fourth quarter and got shut out with 21 was it 21 or 24 points 24 straight points, 24 straight points. yes sir they were down 21 they lost now my question is and we discuss this every week i watch this game as a tailgate and i have a direct tv that allows me <laughs> You just gonna don't think I'm just talking out of order. He just gonna talk. Watch the you just gonna sell come in like Hit that brick and just cross the wall. Well, that's fine. I was at Rockets practice, so top that. So that. I wasn't on the field. I answered money yesterday. I I answered money yesterday. Sitting, I was sitting on my butt and I answered money. Yes, that just like that come around every now and then for us folks. 
<laughs> but going with that, though, at some point, these Big 12 teams better learn how to play some defense and stop somebody. I mean, over, overall, I'm not just talking about four quarter. You wear somebody out, and they, they don't have enough depth and all to finish the game. At some point. Well, them folks in Austin, Burn Oil, said, don't worry about it. We all know. You know what? <laughs> that, that's, that's where I'm going. Give us but another year. I don't think – I think before the year is out, that defense is going to win a real – from beginning to end, they're going to start a game and going to finish the game. Because the last three weeks, I that would, defense has looked mighty determined. I think, you're making a, determined. I, I think you're making an excellent point. I would argue that the defense has already said, I think what's going to happen is that the offense is going to come along and put up a couple of points, which is going to allow the defense to do what they've done in the last two weeks. you got to remember, up until the third quarter, that was a 7 nothing game against Baylor, top 10 team, yep. in regards to what the defense did. The two scores that Baylor had late, one was on the turnover, yep. and the other one was on the first down after a turnover, and the other one was a uh, – which was on a trick play. Right, yeah. and the other one was on the punt. Oklahoma last night uh, – yesterday, excuse me. Two of those scores in that game early should have been losing at halftime. Remember, one was on yeah. a pick six interception. Yeah. The other yeah. one was also on a uh, trick play turnover uh, that they – uh, punt return punt that was, they came team. in. Yeah. Special teams. So, that defense is doing their part. The problem they have right now is offense. And even what I find interesting, that offense has different spurts where they look really good. They just can't finish in terms of putting those points in the end zone, missed field goals and things of that nature. So, yeah. Coach Strong says, give me a year. He'll, he'll, he'll you answer what. your problem with defense in the Big 12. But you talk about Big 12 problems in defense. Pac-12 been playing no defense for the last four or five years. You know. Play for a championship. Notre Dame. Yeah. Gave Auburn everything Gave they Gave up 43 yeah. points to a, a, not a very good North Carolina team yesterday. 150 to 43. I mean, college football scores are looking like some college basketball scores now. And is that I'm not now? Is that going to become an issue or will it be just become a problem? And the reason I said an issue, it's almost like a trend is starting to get set out of the group of five, being balanced out with everyone else as if, as far as offense has been changed and everybody's adapting to what's going to fit, not so much against the conference that they're in, but the talent that they have and, if, and what the recruit they're, they're looking at to bring in. Because if you get the, we all know that if you get the right quarterback, you can build up around him. Texas loses their center, along with the quarterback, and things change totally for their offense. Replace those two issues. Now everything starts to come down. And as you said, Doc, earlier, once they balance out and start getting along with it, I think it's going to be a problem for the NFL. I think you're seeing some issues with the NFL in terms of talented quarterbacks. With the NFL, the money's so big that they want to push these quarterbacks along further. And because of what they think they're seeing in college, they think they're ready. Uh-huh. But I would argue they're not quite ready in terms of the total part of the game. And some of that is not just in terms of skill set. Sometimes that is mental. And I'm not talking about intelligence. I'm talking about in I got terms you. of yeah. fatigue. Uh, understanding the game uh, at emotional level that is so fast and furious uh, that it's not about you being able to be intellectually prowess, but it's in terms of you being adequate in terms of being able to think processes through very quickly and rapidly 
right. when you hadn't had to really do that. So I think that's concern if you're talking about from the NFL. From the college level, I would say no. I think it sells tickets. It's entertaining. So I think um, you'll continue to see this in college as well as high school because they high, colleges recruit towards that talent level at high school. And what it allows you to do, particularly with the scholarship limits, going uh-huh. back to that, gotcha. this allows teams that don't necessarily have the brand cachet over the years or the history, as well as in terms of not being able to recruit as well, you can get you a couple of key talented players, play the spread type offense, throw a couple of other things in there, and you at least in a lot of ways can compete. So I think that's what you're going to find, that this offensive scheme is going to move forward. I would argue even in the SEC, you see a trend where they're moving away from defensive side. Alabama was known for that. Some people would say Mississippi has that same type of championship level defense, and we'll see if Mississippi can go forward with it, the top-ranked defense of what they're showing. But you see teams like Auburn, uh, you see Missouri in terms of what they've been able to do offensively changing in a lot of ways the schematic process uh-huh. and you see some other teams trying to play with it and wrinkle with it with LSU Mississippi State to a while Mississippi State uh, quarterback Prescott looks a lot like Cam Newton in terms of his build I'm not sure if he has the same accuracy but in terms of getting four or five yards coming off of <laughs> a give and go uh, reading the read Defense and slanting off the guard and being able to just seem fall for five yards uh, is ridiculous and talented how, how he is and definitely breaking out for 15, 20 yards at a time. So I think you have some issues there. Even the SEC is mighty as they're supposed to be in terms of paper and to, to some extent was correct during the heydays when they did have some best defenses in the country. They put them in a lot of position. I think they still are talented on defense but not like they were, and you see the offense affecting them in terms of that. You may argue that the Big Ten, which people kind of are horror-struck over, yeah. some of those teams have some solid defenses, but the offenses can't match it, which makes those defenses. Will it take, at the changes at beyond college, will it take a new generation of football coaches with a different mindset? to slowly bring that that style to the NFL level? I think they've tried. I think I, I mean, uh, somebody that NFL. understands what, no, what, what's going on in football. I think you've tried. You know, and we're going to watch right that now. with Philadelphia, <laughs> yeah. Chip Kelly. So you, you got some chance. I think some other ones out here. So we're going to kind of watch. I think there's going to be some problems at the NFL. And I think you can bring some schematic plays of that. I do like the way Chip Kelly tries to do up-tempo. But people are saying that, the up-tempo doesn't only affect the defensive team that he's proposing, but in a lot of ways affects his own defense because they have to be ready. And the way the game at the NFL is played, that they're so fast and so intricate and so big that playing at that speed uh, may not be really conducive over a 16-17, trying to go to the playoffs, 18-19 game season. So, no, I don't think – uh, that that's the case. I don't think uh, the NFL will go there. I think you have enough talented quarterbacks that are going to play traditional style quarterback that you'll get some coaches and teams still try to get some of these quarterbacks that are playing in collegiate scheme, make them work, but you'll have enough where they'll get players uh, that are traditional and make it work. Who are you, sir? Yes, this is Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, professor 
at Texas Southern University, a.k.a. The Sports Professor. You can find me on the social media platforms at Dr. Kenyatta Caville, D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. Again, that's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. Also, social media platforms of Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I was so busy this weekend, I didn't even get to do my Instagram pictures. I sure wish I did. It was so many beautiful things to show you. And who are you, sir? Doc, Doc. You're killing me, Doc. You're killing me, Doc. Uh, I am Fifth Ward Wildcat. Uh, you can find me on the social media platform, Twitter, Facebook, TweetDeck, at JL Woodley one AKSVDCSR. You can find me also my interviews and my videos uh blogger and YouTube at the College Sports Report aka AKSV slash backslash the CSR. That is AKSV backslash the CSR the College Sports Report. And I am KG of the Houston Round Bar Review. HoustonRoundBarReview.com, as well as www.thehrr.com. Houston newly Ru- recognized. Yep. By Cosita and the Basketball Writers Association. Correct. Thank and you, has gentlemen. been recommended by NC2A Women's Basketball. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you, sirs. It's about time. Well deserved. You put well work deserved. in, man. Well you put work it. in. Thank you very much. Houston Round Bar View on YouTube. Houston Round Bar View on Instagram. Uh, you can go to YouTube, the YouTube channel and see videos from Saturday's Rockets practice. Got comments from Joey Dorsey, James Harden, Kevin McHale, and Patrick Beverly. Dwight Howard uh, sat out practice, a little minor injury. Joey Dorsey returned to practice after his ankle issue. Jason Terry practiced. But you can go listen to those, check those out. And it's raw, so you can even hear during James Harden's time with the media, a player dropping an S-bomb in the background. So That's how, that's how we do things here. That's how that's how we do it. So check it out. Go to Houston Round Bar View at YouTube. And now we know how to get in contact with us. Keep in mind we have our KG, Fifth of Wildcat, and Doc uh, Facebook podcast page on Facebook. Check out the podcast on SoundCloud.com as well as iTunes. Have a little moment here. Take a moment to hear from THG Agency. Are you looking for business strategies and services in the areas of sports management, educational leadership, and project management for your sports camps, AAU teams, local business, or athletic department? Well, you come to the right place. THG Agency is the Heritage Group. It is a fully integrated sports entertainment, educational leadership, and project management consulting company focused on sports leadership and educational administration with six areas of consulting expertise, sports business management, educational 
professional sports assessment, data analysis, educational curriculum development, advanced leadership execution, and statistic solution consulting. Our services are well-defined but tailor-made for our clients we represent. For more information, give us a call at 281-330-1341 or email us at info at thg-agency.com. You can also visit the website at thg-agency.com. Thanks once again to THG Agency. We're still looking for additions, additional sponsors for these spectacular podcasts, which we are all very proud of. And we are receiving kudos and and even a few suggestions, the things they want to hear. So that's why you have more football nominated in the first part of this, this podcast. At some point, we're going to start bouncing out because basketball season is right around the corner. Speaking of Wednesday, where you headed, young man? I'll, I'll be in Birmingham for a conference USA's Media Day. Be a one-day trip. Fly in, fly out like a, a businessman. I'm going to fly in, fly out the same day for a conference USA. I like Try to talk to, see if I can get a moment to talk to Tyler Summit, new head coach at Louisiana Tech. I'm sure he's going to be a, surrounded Small. by a lot of media. Talk to him. You know, he is Pat Summit's son, his first Head coaching gig at Louisiana Tech. So heir to the throne. Hey. So he's an heir to the throne and taking over a, a former story program. Story program. See if he can restore the, them to prominence in Conference USA. So I'm looking forward to that. And I'll post videos on YouTube as well and check out the men's and women's hoops blogs and interview uh, Rice coach Greg Williams. La Tech on the men's side was picked to win Conference USA. And then on the women's side, as expected, Middle Tennessee was <laughs> to win that. And I do believe on, this is the first time in a couple of years, a few years at least, Conference USA women's basketball released and or publicized the entire preseason rankings. And Yeah, that's been a while. And Rice was predicted to finish 12th out of 16 teams, which is to be expected as Wildcat, I expect, because oh, yeah. the Custer era is over. And then Jessica Custer is now playing professional ball overseas. And there's just not a lot of – Custer's don't grow on trees for rice. They just so, don't. So, uh, we'll see and what folks, they do this season. I, I am waiting to see them in person before I give any uh, adjustment or whatever I want to say or how I want to describe what the season will be because it will be interesting who picks up the baton and attempts, not carries it, but attempts to carry the baton for this first season without Jessica Custer. I'm not expecting a lot of victories for the Rice women's basketball this season, but we'll see how it goes. Let's get back to college football. Florida State is in the news, or Jameis Winston is in the news. A lot of, a lot of programs are in the news for the wrong reason these days. Jameis Winston will face a disciplinary hearing on campus. It was announced was it Friday? It was announced Friday. Friday evening, which is ironic. New York Times did an article Friday night, Saturday morning. You can go to the New York Times website about the state of Florida State Athletics in Tallahassee and, and the interaction or the connection between Florida State football and the Tallahassee Police Department and overlookings of incidents involving football players and a litany of the problems there, letting things slide and just... You can go to New York Times and read it. It's, it's, it is kind of troubling. But Jameis Winston, according to FSU's student conduct policy, he, he was notified Friday, so he has five school days to contact the school's Office of Student Rights and Responsibilities to schedule an information hearing. 
in which he will be advised about his rights as well as the upcoming student conduct hearing. And of course, this centers around the, uh, <clears throat> how should I phrase it? The dark, hip hop, the, uh, hip -hop. the alleged how you, yeah. assault. Okay. Yeah, the, the assault that was. He said it was consensual. Police, yeah. She said it wasn't. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's almost a year after the fact. But the FF is Florida State. Is That's why I say I don't know if you, you really alleged because one person said one action, the other person said the other, and there was no mm -hmm. litigation in regard. True. To but Florida State is doing these things and going forward with investigations and hearings because Title IX has been is being involved. So now they've been for, so now they're getting, fund, getting off their butt and funding is doing being, being threatened. Yes. Is, is that what it boils down to? That's how it looks. Because Title IX, folks, if you want to really scale program, mention that and file on that, that uh, on uh, litigate on that level, and watch somebody stand up and says, "Okay, we'll listen." Yeah. Beforehand, they you can go back and forth and they'll say, "Okay, we'll look, we'll check into it, uh, contact our lawyer." But when you mention taking funds away from a school's program, it doesn't matter whether it's public or private school. That one phrase. We're going to litigate your Title IX situation. People change. They start to listen now. Because Florida State is being investigated by the Department of Education Office of Civil Rights. Uh, they're trying to determine whether the university properly protected the woman's Title IX rights when she accused Jameis Winston of sexually assaulting her December 7, 2012. So it's almost two years from uh, the sexual assault. December 7, 2012. Yeah, that's sad on a lot of ways. Obviously, if it uh, was true to the case that it happened, it's sad that it would take two years to try to get some legitimate uh, answers to what took place. And if it didn't happen, it's just as sad from a framework that somebody can be uh, going through these issues and defame their character even more so than what is necessarily obviously to investigate that. So this is sad on many ways. But one thing I would like to bring to the listeners is the fact that this is not something that's just a Florida State issue in regards to the government looking at several cases across the country that came out over the summer in regards to issues of sexual assault on campuses. So this is just in a follow-up or a continuation of that. And you add on the New York Times article that came out. Uh, this was a case where Florida State from the institution thought it would be important to relook at this investigation with some of the questions, basically in terms of the overall character of the university, how they deal with investigations like that. I think they thought it was important to get that on tape and try to have an independent review of that. So it'll be interesting to see. As a professor, I have been to a independent investigation in terms of campus-related. It's similar to a judicial system for those that have seen court cases, but it's litigated by uh, students uh, with the fa faculty or staff members there to kind of guide to make sure that it is not done illegally or unethically. But it's really, for the most part, at least everything I've seen at previous universities, is the fact that it's done by the students and the review board will be students. 
So it'll be interesting to see if that particularly is the same framework for Florida State. But just to give you a frame in terms of it, usually these cases can go anywhere from literally expulsion from school. So you're not talking about legal jail time or financial restitution through the courts in terms of criminal or civil. You're talking about an independent institution that has the ability to decide on your punishments according to their bylaws of you attending that university or in this case or any would be an institution. So they can recommend nothing at all. They can recommend some type of suspension, some type of adjudication in regards to what you should do for the institution. Or they literally can suspend him from the institution. So this can go outside of the NCA, which remember the NCA is a joint membership part of that. Or it can go outside of the football team or athletic. Yeah. Because he literally can be suspended from the university and obviously suspended from the university. You can no longer play uh, with the football team. So those are the things of how this could be serious without it being serious in terms of criminal. In the past, my experiences. In most cases, when you have the tribunal of the university, you tend to do not have lawyers involved. Oh, so, so it's, it's basically the student against the student. I mean, as far as you present your Right, your, in terms of that. But it'll be interesting to see. And some universities are different. They may allow you to have legal representation. He's obviously going to have legal representation, at the very least, of preparing for this. Okay. So we know that for a fact. The, my question that I'm asking or wanting everybody, as we follow up with the story, to find out whether he will actually have legal representation actually fighting his case for him, if you want to see it from that framework, from a legal, or is he independent, will be doing himself, and or will they just be reading the research and the studies that have investigated what took place? Wow. It could go sideways real quick. Absolutely. Let's talk some NBA injuries. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Durant was announced that the, uh, That's the only thing City I'm concerned Thunder about. announced right that uh, is he, when he's going to be healthy. He's uh, out with up to uh, eight weeks with a Jones fracture in his right foot. It's a bone that's broken at the base of his small toe. And, you know, that's really the small toe. is maybe small, but it's hey. an important yeah, you, balance. You feel it when you when you when that's balance. Hard. Talking about balance now. So KD's out six to eight weeks. Washington Wizards guard Bradley Beal is out uh, six to eight weeks um, with the injured wrist. Uh, just see word on the on the ticker that Detroit Pistons uh, second year guard Contavious Caldwell Pope injured his knee today in in the exhibition game sprained knee, so we'll see how long, if at all, how much time he'll be missing, you know, be out of action. Bradley Bill fractured his left left wrist. So it's preseason basketball, and um, you see players injured, and these are players who didn't even take part in the USA basketball. So for all those folks who griping and bitching about, you know, well, you know, they shouldn't be playing USA basketball. You get injured playing for USA basketball, you got guys – Getting hurt. Who didn't play in UCLA basketball? So injuries happen. Injuries are part of basketball. Injuries are part of sport and, and athletics. So take that um, certain people up. Up the food chain. Up the, up up the, 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 road, food up the road there in the state of Texas. <clears throat> really? 
<laughs> and I'm talking. Since we're gonna talk about the the uh, team up up 45, former Rockets, now Dallas Maverick, Chandler Parsons, is out of shape. He was out of shape when he was competing for USA Basketball this summer. He's still out of shape. He says that he's just bulked up. Two coaches. Because he said that Two different he wants, styles. he's playing Macy more time at the power forward spot, the big spot, when the Mavs decide to rest Dirk Nowitzki so he gained weight, muscle weight. Mavs head coach Rick Carlisle said Chandler's out of shape. He said this Friday, Saturday, Chandler's out of shape. Today he's backtracking, he's crawfishing on the word, saying that he should not have singled out Chandler after the game Friday night, and he's apologized to him and the team for an error in judgment. Baloney, if you believe a man is out of shape, say he's out of shape. Well, he did. He just took it back. So, you know, know he, as the media wouldn't overdo it. But he's already said what he's been. Yeah, he's, you know, I mean, thought. this this he's apology. He's taking it back and saying, oh, hey, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't read too much in that. Yeah, I know yeah, I said it. Yeah, his apology. That's how I feel. Is, but don't pick at him. You know, it's a grain of whatever. You, it's all you, you're a coach. He's a player. <laughs> Somebody ask him about it. So, you know, now he, he posting Instagram pictures of Chandler, posting think, pictures of him, Instagram. and Is he going back to his modeling way? With it, look, yeah, got his his uh, underwear. I'm not going to name the sponsor. But he's show, showcasing his abs and the underwear of the, of, the, of the sponsor here. You know, his six-pack of abs, blah, 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 blah. You know, but one of the things, it's not necessarily the weight. It's his conditioning that is a problem. And so he can Chandler can say that he doesn't he does not look heavy, but when you're struggling to get up and down the floor in a new system, that's conditioning. conditioning. Yep, that means you ain't working out. And when your shots and he's already he's always been a perimeter shooter that really truly relies on his legs or his jump shot. You can just see when he was with the Rockets when the shot got flat and his legs he got tired, no he got got no lift. So he's having those issues now with the Mavericks. So that's a bigger issue is the conditioning. So he no longer, his conditioning or lack thereof is no longer a concern of the Rockets. Some of my female friends have already told me point blank. Don't care. Don't care. He's out of sight, out of mind. He's no longer here. I could, could care less what happens to him up there now. So, okay, fine. So we'll see how that goes. The Rockets play Phoenix tomorrow at home for a preseason game. I'll, I should be there. Go straight from the office. Most likely check that out since no agreement has reached yet to have the games on Uverse or DirecTV yet. So uh, hopefully that'll be hammered out by the end of October where the games will be seen by most of Something's got to be done. Something has to be done. the new TV arrangement when I think it will be known as Houston Root or Root Houston um, TV. It's sad to that some of my colleagues and friends will be out of work. Yeah. They were at um, Comcast and I'll look for work as well as some of the folks I looked up to are out of work at 92, News 92 FM. You know what? Out of work. Now that you you mentioned that, I got up, put the trash out, come back in the house, and I'm hearing music. Beyonce. 24-7, B- and I was B-Radio, like, okay. B-92. And, you know, I was, like, going back and forth and thought something had happened to the radio or whatever. I get a tweet from a couple of folks, get a t- and I'm checking it out. 
And they tell, and they just and they made that announcement. They just said they just signed off. Just went the way of the dodo bird, just like that. And what was, has transpired in this city in three years for us to lose two twenty-four-hour news outlets? And the the rationale, I, the, it, the money, I can understand to a point. If you spend all this money, but don't we still need news? Don't we need access to news, especially free? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you. Now, I, I don't mind buying cable, impartial news, free news, free good news, and good reporters. Because good reporters are hard to find. That's True. just to be facing. That you can find somebody that can report the news or just read it, but a good reporter is hard to find. Especially somebody that can deliver it across the radio and make and and and, ha- and make it relevant where everybody sit down listening cuz I don't want to hear everybody I don't cuz sometimes it just don't sound good when they come when they come across the radio I don't want to hear a, a slant on news there you go that's it that's the word I was looking for re- report it as it happened yeah I think this is a change of the time where news has become a commodity in the US where it's about how do you financially generate revenue from it, and similar to what you would think about Walmart and smaller businesses, um, the significant size of Walmart has had a negative fact, impact on a lot of small businesses. I think you have the larger mega media conglomerates, uh, whether you're talking about Fox News or NBC News in regards to those, MSNBC I should say, uh, had an impact on some of your smaller Frameworks, but I also think that there's a component of news that is changing that people may be overlooking, and you've seen this uh, over the maybe last ten years, where social media and some of these blog spheres has been a conduit where news gets at you almost directly as it's happening, and you don't need people to actually actually explain it to you because you see it, you understand it a lot more. Which is kind of what you're talking about is you'd rather have somebody just report the news. Well, I think that framework is is leaving in a lot of ways because almost anybody can do it. You literally think about reporting the news. Do you need somebody telling you, hey, this is happening when you know this is going on? If somebody has a camera it's true. and a phone, they can literally show you. And if you have you know, any... Fix, what is it? What yeah. Is it? Fix news on, on K, whatever the, yeah. the letters are. That's basically letters. how they get their That's done. how they do their stuff. The uh, Ferguson, a whole bunch of news about Ferguson were independent. Was independent. Um, Instagram, Twitter, yeah. uh, not you broadcast kind of stuff, but they right. were just posting it as it happens from their either cameras or their phone. And you can go to an internet site and see what's going on as it's happening. Absolutely, and not the traditionally trained form of media. People are understanding how to report information. And they report it like they see it and do it. So I think that's the framework. So it'll be interesting how far will that change the time. And oftentimes you see these things kind of go in cycles. So I figure you'll see some of this take place. While I do agree in a lot of ways it's sad that you don't get a traditional or non-traditional news platform, however which way you like to see it. And any time, in my opinion, that you see businesses go out, I think it's a concern. But... When you go a little deeper, oftentimes, as I said, and I won't repeat it, but you can see other forms kind of taking place. 
which can be good because now you're talking about growth. So, you know, it's, it's, it, we all have to adapt and adjust to the times. We did. You know, and we're still I know doing I that. Um, it's just news outlets, really legitimate news outlets, typically are the place where you can get the open record request granted to them as opposed to Joe Q putting something on Instagram, you know. Exactly. So when that... Plus the financial cost associated with getting open records. For example, as you talked about Ferguson, one of the things that they were doing to slow down, and some of it they said was just because it was so much enormous people asking for it, that the cost of getting information there through the Freedom of Information Act was an exorbitant cost. So unless you were a significant size organization, you couldn't afford to pay for it. So those are some of the negative components of independent news reporters. Let's talk ABC. about this. We we did not, or we have not addressed this on podcast, but the Alabama women's basketball situation with Miss Simmons. Is her name pronounced Daisha? Daisha? Daisha Simmons, D-A-I-S-H-A. That's how you spell it, but I, I, right. have, I have no idea... Because I've seen phonetic? everything in print. I haven't heard, you know, video or whatever, <laughs> discussing her name, news reports, where she sought a release from Alabama to uh, play basketball at Seton Hall, be closer to her family and her brother who's, who's uh, dealing with kidney failure. And the Alabama coaching staff, who Wildcat and I follow Christy Curry. Christy yeah. Curry's yeah. was friends of Joe Curl, you rich. Yeah. Head coach yes, for years, yes, so I've known her yes, for a long time. Yes. And then she has other assistant coaches who I've known for a while as well. So th- they did not grant uh, Miss Simmons' request because she had already transferred once to get to Alabama. I think it's from Rutgers to Alabama. I believe that's where it was, a previous school. So in order for her to go to Seton Hall, she had to seek and be granted approval from Alabama to go to Seton Hall and Alabama wouldn't do it. Alabama coaching staff said that it was a whole bunch of, well, we told her we needed the information. She didn't, she never gave us the information that we requested. Despite the fact um, other players were let go yep. at earlier in, in April, you know, after the season ended, you know, once Scenario Alabama kept saying well, it was too late for us to replace her. Yet another player was like rep- let go and replaced afterwards after she made her request. So Alabama let somebody go. Granted another player's request to leave after the fact that she requested it. So this whole bunch of things, and then it became a national story. You had men's basketball, college basketball analysts, Dick Vitale, Jay Bellis, gentlemen from SI.com, Yahoo Sports, just roasting and criticizing so much negative pub at Alabama and Coach Curry's women's basketball program. The Alabama president said the matter is closed. And lo and behold, bam, day later. Put that word in there. Say that phrase. Title IX was tossed there out there. There you go. There uh, you go. Sim the attorney. There you go. Oh, well, we think we're going to change our minds now, and we're going to There grant. you go. Drop that word on them. Drop that word request. on them. So now, and once Alabama did that, the NCAA immediately said, you are 
are eligible to play for Seton Hall, Seton Hall this year. Doc, you're the you're the word, you're the the letter guy. You understand what the, I mean? Chris and I, we we just talk about it and all. Exactly. But but you you know exactly what it is. With much respect. Yeah, I think it's it's obviously it's people that are in control, and these are people that lost the role of what athletics, particularly collegiate athletics, is supposed to be, and they have rules, and much of the power is really in the hands of the institution. And outside of stories like us, outside of stories like this. Usually you don't hear much about them, so people kind of think these schools are really doing the right thing. They do a lot of money to make sure that positive information is out here. But this is just in case where you had individuals that are used to do what they usually do, and it was just too much negative news to get out there, and it got into the new media spheres that we just talked about. Yes, sir. Which you yes, sir. on social media, and a lot of people actually came up and said, I don't understand this. This doesn't seem right. Doesn't make sense. And president of Alabama actually realized that this is just too negative for us, even if we think that she shouldn't be able to do it. It just doesn't make sense in terms of the negative media backlash that we're getting from making this decision. So they turn face, move forward, and try to justify it in such a way that say everybody's happy now. Sorry, it was a misunderstanding. Let's move forward. I think a bigger picture about this is that people should consider is that these incidents happen more than you would like to think. Uh, oftentimes, they don't get quite the media information that they're reported, and oftentimes you have players that are put in positions where it becomes less obvious that this is supposed to be about education and more obvious that it's about other things. And that's when I have a concern when we try to and everybody's front face say that this is about education. But it's becoming more and more obvious that it's not. And it, it, it is issues, similar issues like this. It's a fine line because <clears throat> locally, U of H men's basketball with uh, Tayshawn Thomas and Daniel House. Yep. You know, will ultimately that they relented, agreed to let those young men out of their scholarships, but you can only go to certain schools. You know, you can't go to a school that's on our, our schedule this year. You know, you can't play. Initially, it was you cannot go to school in, say, Texas. And then you can't go to a school that we're playing this year. So it happens. That, but you also don't want players to just say who perceive a coach being too hard on them and say, I'm out of here. Screw it. You know, I'm, I'm going to a new school tomorrow. So just because, uh, you know. And nobody's done that yet. I mean, you know, but. And the only reason I think. A player makes commitment to a school. School makes commitment to a player. But we all know coaches get out of their contracts. Every day. Every day. Every and day. And leave immediately, immediately for another job. But a player cannot do the same thing. They have to sit out a year majority of the time, for Unless legitimate it, reasons. Yeah. Now, the, 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 and what bothers me about that whole situation is if the school gets into a legal hiccup, and I'll say it like that, uh, because this is, we do have some kind of restraints and all. I won't just go down that road, but every time I get into this discussion, it always bothers me, and I usually just 
put everything in the sewer, in the gutter, and just go there. Only because people just don't get it. Coaches leave every day. Coaches leave a program either because he screwed up or he left for a better job. Or she. Or she. True. In the process, kid is stuck in that environment with a new coach, probably even a new staff, and has to wait it out and has been to- and is, to- is told by the powers that be in administration that you can't leave until the end of the year if they decide to let you go. It bothers me when all of a sudden the NC2A steps in and says, well, you all are under investigation, so we're going to allow everybody, if they want to leave, they can leave. Kids, at that point, if it was a senior or a junior that's in the process of headed off to the league, you know, he's looking at, okay, if I go ahead and change, and my stats are not where they, where they need to be for me to be a first or second rounder, to even get picked, not just get invited, but to make a team and get a get a contract for at least for the first year, he's got a way, you know, whether he, he stays or goes, and whether they make the, uh, the tournament or not, that's all up in the air. He's only concerned about getting to the next level. That's why he showed up where he did. My issue is you got one rule, and Doc, you mentioned it all the time. Have a balance. Have a rule that sets everything written down or have something set in stone to where it's across the board. And everybody should be treated the same. If the coaches are leaving, kids should have an opportunity also. Now, it's one thing if the kid screws up, you know, in academically. That's something totally different. We all agree on that. But when it goes beyond that, outside of that, that environment, have some balance. Have a rule that says this is what's going, this is what's going to transpire from here on out, and we're going to move forward. Because some people, real quick, let me say this. You can go ahead and add your two cents much more than me and Wildcat. But some folks said, and still say, well, the student, the student athlete that chose, me. chose the school, not the coach. Majority of the time, these young men and women are playing for the coach. And then... School didn't come in the room. Then the, thank you. Then the, the academics issues the is another part of it. So once that coach leaves... Folks say, well, you know, he chose, he should have he chose the school because of the school. Really? Rather than they, they chose it because of that coach. So if that coach leaves, why can't that player leave too? I think it's just a case where, you, where you're you making all excellent points, but I think it just shows the hypocrisy of uh, collegiate athletics. We wouldn't even think twice. In regards to a traditional student saying, "All right, I'm out of here. Yeah, Gone. You know, he can I'm be on scholarship. Yeah, he lose scholarship. He has every right to go. He can go to any school he wants to. Start the next semester. Yeah. Or the even as he meets, he's applied, meets all the requirements. They decide to make sure that he's admitted to the university, or she. They can start taking the courses." As long as they pay their fees, the next semester, not a problem. Only in college, where you have an issue with all these guidelines and rules where they're trying to create create a significant framework for this, and some people would 
question in terms of alternative motives. So that's the issue I have, is that you say this is all about education, you say this is all about college. So my thing is, uh, if that's true, and general college students can do this, you always say that athletes can't get above and beyond what traditional or other students are getting. Well, they can do this. Why can't college athletes do it? It sounds like you're saying that if they have actually a more framework of where they are not allowed to do what normal students are doing. So that's intriguing to me. So that's a huge issue. But I think what even exacerbated this case with Alabama with Simmons is the fact, as you talked about another case, uh, where some people would even say, all right, let's say we agree with that framework. In this case, it seemed pretty close that this wasn't necessarily an educational issue. Uh, this was a personal issue about the way they felt a young person went about something. So as adults, how are you going to punish a young person if you don't think they went about it incorrectly? And it wasn't illegal. She graduated. She graduated, right. So academically, she had done everything she's supposed to do. So what's the problem now? So again, this is a further example where this, again, the system that you say that you're selling to me is about college and has the best interests of students. This is a case where it was easy for a lot of people that may agree with that or even laugh at that, says that this is surely a case where this is not about the student. As we wrap it up here, tell everybody about your your top five, sir, HBCU. Definitely, happily, we'll get into top strange five. Strange weekend, but it was a good weekend, Doc. Definitely strange weekend. Good weekend in a lot of ways in terms of what's going on out here in the top five. Let's start with the mid-majors. And I'm, I'm curious to know at some point, since the G-Man are now 4-0 in the swag, if they're going to somehow creep into the top ten. Let's see. I want them to be creeping all the way up to the top five, Doc. I want them to just make that move. I will say that last week they did end in the top ten at number eight because we only released the top right. five. You didn't see them there. So let's see if they have any major there improvement you go. There you go. this week. Starting with the mid-majors, these are members of the NCAA Division II and NAI programs. One team that is outside the top ten, we will give just the top five, give you a little tease here, is the Langston Lions, who are 3-3, three 1-0. Three, the reason I stated them in this case is because they are an example of the lone non-NCAA Division II program that is involved in the top 10 program and has been ranked in the top 10 in the season. They had a big win, so it looks like they're going to be pushing the envelope to see if they can get in the top 10. Again, not their receiving votes. Langston Lions, 3-3 three three on the season, 1-0 in terms of conference rate. Top five programs, Stillman Tigers out of the SIEC, 4-2, 3-0. They continue to play some good football. Big win as they continue to do it. Thrash 48 to 36. The Benedict Tigers, who fall to 2 and 4 and 1 and 3. At number 4, Morehouse Maroon Tigers. They're falling 4 and 2, 3 and 1. They lost in a shutout fashion 49 to 0. Dominated by a top 5 program, Tuskegee Golden Tigers, 4 and 2, 4 and 0. That was in the 79th Morehouse Tigers Classic in Columbus, Georgia. Depending on who you are talking to, some people will call it the Tuskegee Morehouse Classic. <laughs> just to your liking. Yep. Number three, those very Golden Tigers, Tuskegee, are in it again, 4-2, and 4-0. and Remember, they lost two straight games at the beginning of the season. They righted the ship as they got in the SIAC play. One of those games were to the top teams uh, in the country in terms of HBCU sports at the mid-major division. And then 
They just defeated, as we said, shutting out the Morehouse Maroon Tigers, 4-2, 3-1 and in the SIEC. They continue to dominate and move. At number two, Virginia Union Panthers, 5-1, 4-0, exploded to defeat Lincoln, Pennsylvania, 78-13, just uh, showing that they had no mercy on the lines of Lincoln, Pennsylvania, as they continue to make a statement as they are undefeated in the conference race in the CIAA. So interesting to see what they're doing, continue to move forward. Number one, not surprising, as Winston-Salem has won 50 games over the last five years as they continue to dominate at the Division II level. Winston-Salem State Rams 5-1, 3-0 in terms of defeating John C. C. Smith Golden Bulls, who are 1-5, 0-3. So they do what you're supposed to do to teams um, that are not ranked at your level in terms of record. On a commerce play, they continue to move forward, dominate things, and just continue to get it done. Let's look at the majors and see if we can answer that question in terms of top five. And number five, Alcorn State Braves, they fall from number one. Third consecutive week, as we said, the number one team cannot just hold on to their number one ranking. Hopefully it's not anything I'm doing in the poll, but <laughs> some of them coaches will probably come, come out and say, please, just wait. Five and two, three and one. As they continue to move forward, Braves have an interesting match coming up this weekend for the local people that listen to us locally as we're locally respected nationally. And now in terms of Texas Southern, uh, we'll travel to the Alcorn State Braves this weekend. And just to get that out there, Texas Southern is ranked sixth, so this will be a top ten matchup in between. Have mercy. Have mercy. So it would be interesting have to find mercy. out. Have mercy. Number four, South Carolina State Bulldogs, four and three, two and one. They fall one spot as they were defeated, surprising a lot of people. North Carolina Central gave them a loss, first loss in terms of MIAC play. North Carolina Central, because of that, and the fact that they're 2-0 and in the MIAC, 3-3 and overall, actually found their way in the top 10. So I'll slide that in there. They are at number 10. Moving on through the three spots, top three programs. This is where it gets interesting. G-Men, Grambling State Tigers. Find a way into the top five part okay, of the program. All right, man. All right. Three, all four right. Three, four and oh, two first place votes. Give a lot of credit to Grammar State after everything that happened last year. Played some good football. They did give us some indication early that they would be a pretty talented team. Obviously came down to Houston. Not much a contest there. But Bethune-Cookman went down there. Tell everybody and remind everybody. Because they probably weren't paying a great deal of attention to that game. G-Men had to lead 24-23 in the third quarter late in that game before Bethune-Cookman exploded and it went through that. Next year, Bethune-Cookman travels to Grammar State. That could be an interesting matchup for next year in terms of top five teams, top three teams, particularly if Grammar State continues to play this way. As we said, they defeated Alcorn in terms of giving Alcorn their first loss in the conference race. Big matchup rivalry between the state of Mississippi and Louisiana. This could be a prelude to the conference championship that comes here in December. So, fascinating game, 28-21. Grambling jumped out 21 nothing. Had to hold on to win 28-21. As we see how this will play out if both teams find a way playing in a championship here in NRG Stadium. At number two, North Carolina A&T Aggies, 5-2, They defeated Hampton. That was a Thursday night game on ESPN. Watch that game. They were actually down at half, 14-7. Exploded in the second half to win 31-14, uh, just rushing all over the Pirates as they really started to take 
control of that contest, defeating Hampton Pirates, who are now 1-5-0-2 in the MEAC race. At number one, Bethune-Cookman Wildcats, 5-1, 2-0, defeated 49-12. The Howard Bison, who are 1-5-0-3 now in the MEAC race. Uh, they continue to get it done, playing big time. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how Bethune-Cookman moves forward as they now have that number one bullseye on their chest. How will they do this week? So that's one to keep your eyes on. Doc, they got to survive. They got to survive, Doc. They got to survive. Just one week. If somebody can hold on to it for more than one week, that's the key now the rest of the way. We'll see if Bethune could even do that. They were ranked early in the season before they had a loss that pushed them out and other teams exploded. So they were quietly hovering in the weeds, but they've been number one before, so they kind of know how to travel the treacherous land of being number one with the bullseye on your back. Let's see if they can do it this week. Well, Doc, speaking of Bethune-Cookman and traditional HBCUs and this week's uh, FCS poll rankings uh, out today, uh, number 17, Bethune-Cookman, number 24, Alcorn State, and number 25, Tennessee State. Yeah, you'll probably it, it's, see uh, Alcorn drop out of there. be interested to see how many votes Grambling get in that, and whether Bethune-Cookman will push up the polls a little bit there. Yep. South Carolina State probably get bumped out, too, with that loss that we just talked about. Yeah. As we wind it down here, Wildcat, how can folks find you, sir? You can find me on the on my videos and my interviews at Blogger, Blogspot, and YouTube, AKSV backslash VCSR. The College Sports Report on the other social media outlets, Twitter, TweetDeck, Facebook. You can find me, J.L. Woodley 1, Jerry L. Woodley Jr. Doc? Yes, you can find me on the social media platforms of Instagram, Twitter, as well as Facebook at Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, D-R-K-E-N-Y-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. You can email me directly for the top 10 poll rankings at kcabil at th-agency.com. You can also listen to Inside HBCU Sports Lab with Ryan McGinty and Mike Washington. That's Dr. Cabil's Inside HBCU Sports Lab every Tuesday from 7 to 8 on KCOH 1230 AM, the new KCOH 1230 AM, right after the legendary Ralph Cooper on Sports Rap. And I am KG. Every Tuesday of the Houston Round Bar Review, Houston Round Bar Review on YouTube, Houston Round Bar Review on Instagram. I forgot to, earlier I forgot to say this, but Twitter is T-H-E-H-R Review. Once again, that's T-H-E-H-R Review. We have our KG Fifth World Wildcat and Doc page on Facebook. Check out the podcast page on Facebook. Listen to, you see the links to the podcast there via SoundCloud, iTunes, you can post your comments and thoughts there as well. Share your criticisms, critiques, positive vibes, kudos, what have you, on the podcast page. Website is for the Houston Round Bar Review. It's HoustonRoundBarReview.com and www.thehrr.com. Last thing, Thursday night, the J.J. Watts. Lost to the Colts. <clears throat> Any thoughts? I tell you what, he's earning his money. That's all I'm gonna say. 
That luck guy is a hell of a quarterback. He gets an off. Uh, 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 if he gets some some players around him on the level that uh, the prior quarterback had, they could be bagging him in the uh, bagging the game in the uh, Super Bowl. Too sweet. I like what I see. I thought it was an interesting game. I give the Texans a lot of credit because that game looked like it was going sideways quick. Real fast. 21 down. Uh, obviously, the, the special team gas ultimately seeing the difference in the game in regards of just, just being too far back and the fact that the Colts saw that and took advantage of it. So it would be interesting to see if that happens the rest of the season. Luck with 370 yards, three touchdowns, did have a an interception. Foster, Arian Foster continues to show what he can do when you let him go with 109 yards, two touchdowns on just 20 carries. Mm-hmm. And finally had a sighting with Andre Ware getting a touchdown. Beautiful catch that he got done there in terms of what's going on. So Andre Johnson. Andre Johnson. Did I say Ware? Andre Ware. Yes. Yes, yes. Oh, man, did. I'm going. You're going back. Back. Thinking of University of Houston. <laughs> And the quarterback position. Oh, yeah. But I, I think that was the question you have when you look at the Texans in regards to that is how the, can they get off to the blocks faster? Uh, you hate to lose a home game to an interdivisional rival like that. So it puts them behind a ball. It's a lot of things that you look at the Texans that kind of surprised me in terms of how well they're playing. I didn't think under a new coach uh, that they'd be able to play this well. But uh, quarterback, they're having some major issues. They're just not getting enough production. Uh, Fitzpatrick is – Solid, but in terms of the NFL, uh, we don't need a solid player. We don't need safe. We need somebody that can uh, get you some wins. And I think in a lot of ways, he's not getting that done. So that's the major issue. That when you talk about finally, that you talk about luck being solid for the Colts. Yep. J.J. Watt is uh, earning his money as well. Big plays that he continues to produce. And some questions of whether he should be player of the year. When you look at his stats, it really wasn't there. But if you look at some of the big plays that he's putting in there, it's definitely going to keep him in the race. It'll be interesting if he can turn around and get some of the more stats. But this man is being double, triple teamed as any offensive schematic coach worth his salt would do. Mm-hmm. You don't have Clowney on the other side because of his injury. It'll be an interesting tandem if you can get both of those players on the field. Oh, We've seen you some of them in the preseason. Yeah. That contain, yeah. But outside of that, still, J.J. Watt is really a talented player. Uh, amazing. Some of the plays that he's made, making because you just like, oh, okay, great. That won't happen again. He makes some other great plays. At least keeps his team in a position where they're eligible to compete and, and, and potentially win games. So from that. And then he's, uh, he's a good citizen in regards to telling he just loves football. Week before last, you've seen him at the big Paraland Dawson game. This week, you see him down. Uh, in College Station, watching Texas A&M get uh, beat up, if it would, to Mississippi. Um, so he's all over the place early in the season, obviously celebrated. Wisconsin coming down here playing LSU was at that. But he just loves the game of football, great ambassador. It'll be interesting to continue to see if he can play at that level. I'm telling you, he just excites everybody, and people kind of lose it when they call in the game. Got replays and all on that uh, on that one call, and that return. It was interesting. He's all over the board. 
But, you know, we'll see. Once again, you know, they're looking, they looking up. They're not, they're not in, they're not looking back, uh, they're not looking forward. They're still looking up. And they got to throw a little something out there for the Cowboys fans. To, uh, you don't have up, to. Keep up to the Lord. You don't, you don't, you don't have to. Really. They, they, they listen to the podcast, so you understand. We're, we're really? Yeah. They do? They're they tired. Do. What are you going to talk about, sir? They're just saying they're tired playing Seattle. A lot of people thought they were going to get throttled. Uh, they're playing a pretty good game here. It'd be interesting to see if they can find a way to pull it out. Uh, we'll see how continue to do what they usually do, which is uh, win games, particularly against other teams. In some cases, people say a talent team. But I think it's interesting to see that the Cowboys are playing to the level they're playing in terms of winning games late, close, which obviously the last couple of years they faltered and had people all over the news rightfully questioning what was going on in Dallas. But this year they came in under the radar, and I wonder how much of that is actually playing uh, to their strengths of not being uh, the star as big as it is in terms of that, uh, allowing them to play, because they're not necessarily that talented of a team in regards to some of the injury they have particularly on the defensive side of the ball, but they seem to be playing with better chemistry. Obviously, you don't have Tony Romo throwing costly interceptions. Yet. It's not December yet. True. He has to get it done in December, which is something that he couldn't do there. The other part is DeMarco Murray surprising a lot of people. Yeah. His talent. question you still have on him is the fact you talk about turnovers. He has a problem with the fumbles. Well, we can't – I would not – I refuse to allow a podcast in on a Cowboys note. So you that's, got something to say. That's in. almost as bad as having it in on a baseball playoff note or a baseball note. <laughs> so uh Tell you Kansas City and San Francisco, do you think that? Yes. So y'all can talk about all that who are Cowboys. You got and something baseball. to say, man? I got something to say. A few days say ago it, we had uh NBA T V deal was announced, a mega deal. They got the money. Nine years, 24 to 26 Money, money, dollars. money. New TV deal. It's going to open up. Probably there's going to be some sort of negotiations need to take place to avoid a work stoppage in a couple of seasons. We already have LeBron and, and Kevin Durant talking about. Um, One-year deals. Wanting to make the superstars should, should get more money. The salary cap is projected to, to grow from initially after the the TV deals kick in to about two seasons should go up first season about $20 million roughly from 65 now to maybe 82 to $85 million salary cap. And some folks saying with the huge TV money coming in that the megastars should get contracts like they used to get, you know, Jordan with his $33 million salary for one year or Patrick Ewing, uh, Jawan Howard, Lonzo used to get twenty million dollar you know per season salaries, but the thing with that is, if you get the superstars that make all that money, then the rank and file players will start losing money, start, won't make as much money. So we'll see how that goes. That's one thing been already being discussed. You can go to Twitter and see how the things are being written about. But with the max salaries for superstars now, it's allowed super teams to be built. If you have a max, if you don't, it's no max contracts, and you have a superstar like LeBron get forty million dollars a year. How is the rest of his team going to be assembled? You know, 
So we Some have, of them don't care. So we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. Some the negotiations. Don't care. We'll see how it all works. You know, and we we know a couple of those guys in the league right now. So they don't care. It will it'd be interesting to see how it works out in a few years. Yeah, because it's it, you know you have a soft cap now in basketball yeah. for the most part. So that's another part of this is where are you going to have the cap in terms of the team versus the individual. But I think this is going to be interesting to follow because uh, I think for the most part the players uh, do not like the owner. And the reason they don't like the owner. Don't trust them. They don't trust them. They don't right, trust them. Right, that's the word I was going to use. They don't trust them. But the reason they don't trust them is if you think about anything in your life, one of the things that frustrate a lot of people is they think they were lied to. Yep. And in this case, the players unequivocally believe that the owner disrespected them in a lot of ways and flat out lied to them. Yeah, the owners claim that they claim poverty. Right. We got no money, we ain't making none, and we spending all that money and on that. That's what I think a lot of people are go- going to miss about why the players are chirping so much. People think it's just about the fact that they overpaid and want more money. No, this is about respect. You've seen some of that respect played out with the incident that we've now pretty much passed over with the yeah. Clippers. But the, the, but the other one names. with the with the, uh, with the Atlanta Hawks and that, that situation, he just basically said, I'm not going to deal with it and just – Sold a team. Right. Which is, no, that was a lot of it, too. Remember, he was requested to sell the team when he sent his own stuff in. And but he, he just, it, you know, he just, just just let it go. But that was it, the, it, that's it, the it, point. No fight. He knew no fight it, whatsoever. He knew it was going to go in that direction. But the bottom line we're getting here is the fact that you have players that are really disgruntled. And so this could be interesting in regards to the players looking at this as a respect issue. And they've showed some solidarity, and they're a lot more educated in terms of what's going on. So that's why I think this deserves a little time, a little seriousness to look at where this is going forward. And you see this chirping back and forth. And I think in a lot of ways, uh, Mark Cuban, as sharp as smart he is, is he's doing some disservice uh, with his comments uh, going back and forth. Because a lot of people, as they do, looked at Cuban and said, yeah, that's a good thing. But people didn't understand. Durant didn't say that there should be a cap or shouldn't be a cap or they shouldn't give up <laughs> their guaranteed money. He threw that in as a trade-off. And he looked at him and said, no, we're not trading that off. So until people talk about the players need to be careful, I think they're going to be very careful. And you have a new woman involved, and I think she's very talented. So it'll be interesting to watch what takes place over the next couple of years. And I'll leave it at that. And Kiss Cuban said in exchange that the players give up guarantees, contracts. Well, they already give up guaranteed contracts. You already have plenty of players on the veteran minimums, signing deals, partial guarantees, you know, first year, it may be guaranteed, second year is that a team option or has a partial guarantee. So that already happens now. So you need to delve into more details and just don't hear the words that certain people say, do your own research. And that's one thing that um, we pride ourselves on during our podcast. We do our research. If we don't know, we... We go to colleagues who do know. So thank you as always for your time, fellas. And well, I think we'll be back uh, same place uh, next week. Yeah. Listeners, thank you for your support. Uh, continue to tell your friends about the KG Fifth Ward Wildcat and Doc podcast. You'll have a report from Birmingham, a good one, I presume. I I, I hope so. Yes, sir. Uh, you can. <laughs> <laughs>
it'll it'll be it'll be good. Depends on who you, depends on who I talk to. That, it's gonna, it's gonna be a cattle call, so we'll see how it all works. The only reason I'm saying is, folks, KG has basically four to five hours to do three, three hours, three hours. Oh, that's even worse to do. How many coaches? Thirty-two coaches. We're gonna see. So I'd be lucky to get six. One on one, I could do a whole bunch in in a in a horde. You know, surrounded by everybody else, but that's not my goal. So, just stay tuned to HoustonRoundBarReview.com for reports for Comments USA Media Day. I will be tweeting and po- posting pictures on Instagram, HoustonRoundBarReview Instagram, VHR Review on Twitter. Thank you, as always, for your support. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to us. Thank you for telling your friends about us. Wrap it up, as I always do. You know what I say. Say with me out there, listeners. In conclusion... Be true, be cool, and do more.